Good morning and welcome to Elam Lutheran Church. We're broadcasting uh, remotely this morning and also holding a live service in our sanctuary. We're going to open with uh, a new song, a song that's uh, uh, contemporary called I Will Follow.
be seated and we'll call upon Pastor Hoff, our interim pastor. This coming back together time is uh, special. I can tell you these last uh, two months, I've been preaching at my computer and the only congregation that has been there responding to me was a picture of me. And I tell you, the view was a lot prettier this morning. The, uh, the times past when believers had been away from the place of worship for a long time, it was always special to return. For, for the run-of-the-mill time of, of Jewish history, that would be the, the, the times when they would come back for, for gatherings, two or three times a year, back to Jerusalem. And it wasn't just the city. It was up to the temple, the place of glory. And it wasn't just Saul's folk. But after there had been times of captivity where years and years and years of separation and now finally back home they would go to the place where God dwelt. Well, we know God dwells in our hearts through faith by the grace of God. But we also know that he dwells in the midst of his people. And Psalm 122, one of the Psalms of Ascent, begins with these words. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And Lord, we are so glad that we can come together and be your people in a place where you choose to dwell, not, not in a building built by hands, but in a body built by your spirit. And even though at this point we can't greet one another with a holy kiss or a, a hearty handshake all around, as some translations say, we can be in your presence and in the presence of your body. I pray your blessing upon those who are here this day physically and those who will listen later on that your spirit would speak your powerful word of truth and love and grace. This I ask Jesus in your precious name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to uh, open in your Bibles. Hopefully you brought your Bibles with you today. If perchance you didn't, I did notice, I think there are some in the pews, are there not? Yes, there are. I'm going to ask you to open to Acts chapter 18. We're sort of continuing that, uh, the theme that began, uh, taking it to the streets. And they have been doing this in, in chapter 16, 17, and 18 of Acts, and we're going to continue doing that. And I need to apologize this morning for those of you who have been watching the, the, the messages of the service online. There's no quote from my wife behind me today. And uh, in fact, I, last week I sort of migrated a little bit out of that preparing for an outdoor service, so I preached outdoors in our, our yard. Uh, Maybe next week it'll be warm and dry and we'll be outside. Anyway, from Acts 18, we're going to be starting at verse 18. And just to sort of set the stage, about 40 months before the description of what's taking place in today's lesson, that's a little over three years, Paul and Silas left Antioch and Syria and began that second missionary journey. Uh, in that time, three and a third years, Paul's put on about 3,000 miles. He couldn't catch the Amtrak, couldn't do an awful lot of other things. Most of it was by foot. I don't know how many pairs of sandals he went through in that, but it was a long journey. And in today's scripture, you're going to find out that that second missionary journey is going to come to an end. And Paul's going to finish it as he finally makes it back to 
Antioch in Syria. You can hang around there for a little bit, and before today's lesson concludes, Paul starts out on his third missionary journey. We're going to be looking at Acts 18. I'm going to start reading at verse 18 through 22. After this, Paul stayed many days longer. That was their, their time in Corinth. He spent a total of 18 months there. There's a little bit of uh, hubbub taking place toward the end of that 18 months, but after that settled down, he stayed for some time and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Centre, he, he cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and, and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. And when he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit would guide our hearts now, my lips, as I speak, but more importantly, Lord, the hearts and souls of your people who hear your word. Guide us, Lord, set us free. Help us to become those disciples that, that you've birthed us to be into your kingdom, to your glory, and to our good. And I pray, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Well, Paul, Priscilla, and Aquila, they leave Corinth. It's been quite a while, but now they're leaving once again back to Asia. They're leaving Europe. And uh, they have had a successful time in the last year and a half planting a body of believers. A church was birthed, and great things were happening there. Uh, and they go down to the, the seaport town. It's a little over six miles away from Corinth itself. Is that Corinth had two seaport towns on either side of the Isthmus. They went on down, and they're going to take their quick trip across the Aegean Sea over to Asia, over to, to spend some time, very little time for Paul, there in Ephesus. And it says that Paul cut his hair because he was under a vow. Now, we don't know if somehow Paul had made a Nazarite vow. One of the things we do realize, though, that even though he was an apostle to the Gentiles, he did not give up his Jewish traditions. This, this was part of uh, the personal spirituality of many of the Jewish people. That at times in their life, they would make a vow to God. Here's what the ESV study Bible says about that. Besides not cutting the hair, such a vow mandated strict purity and refraining from strong drink. One would have undergone such a vow in seeking divine blessing for an undertaking or to express thanksgiving. I can imagine that Paul has come to the end of this uh, European ministry time, mission time, with hearts with filled with thanksgiving. Or, or maybe it was these last and final steps of this the second missionary journey asking for God's protection, and God, I am giving to you a free will offering, and that happens to be not the coins in my pocket, but the hair in my head and face. It's all going to you. And, and that's what took place. He hasn't divorced himself from his Jewishness, and in fact, those Jews who greeted him when he came to Ephesus, they would have noticed this... Uh, balded person uh, and realized that it's not just because he has alopecia. He, he, he actually is fulfilling the vow that he's made. He's, he's making a way, as it were, into the Jewish tradition and, and trying to make sure that they're not going to be rejecting him as one who has rejected God. 
He was seeking to be faithful to the discipleship of the word that God had called him personally to be involved in. Ask you, brothers and sisters, what has God spoken to you about? I mean, there's a whole pile of stuff in Scripture. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Yeah, you will be saved. <laughs> we find a couple of you in your household. That there's important general things that he specifically calls us to do. But maybe there is something else that God's Spirit is speaking to your heart. Something that you need to be faithful in doing, not for the sake of your salvation, but because you are a disciplined form of God. It's one of those things that has impacted our life has been the ministry of Courage Worldwide. It's a ministry that helps rescue young women, girls, who've been caught up in human trafficking. One of the things that God has moved in our heart, that above and beyond any tithes that are a part of our life, we contribute $100 every month. It doesn't make me a, a better place for heaven in the future, but what it is is it's being used to help rescue girls, especially uh, being involved with my son and members of his congregation a year and a half ago, less than a year and a half ago, over in uh, Moshe, Tanzania, Courage House, at that point had almost 20 young girls, at that point as young as 13, who'd been rescued out of human trafficking. And not only those girls, those young girls, but their five that point, all of them were boys. Now there's well over 20 that are involved in the schooling and the protection that comes from Courage House. Uh, Courage House Promised Land is what they call the school. It's in a secluded place where, where their pimps and their others have no idea where they are. It's important for us to respond to, to that need as God has spoken to our heart. You know, I look in scripture, I don't find courage house. But I do find God's spirit speaking. What's God's spirit speaking to you? How is God calling you to be a faithful, disciplined one of God? Well, now Ephesus, Paul and he starts as his normal place in the synagogue. And he begins to share what the scriptures say. And the scriptures are those 39 books in the Old Testament. What do the scriptures say about Messiah? About the Christ? And he begins to share with them on that Sabbath. And they are impressed. And, and the response seems to be a little bit different than it was in those other places he's been because they plead with him. Boy, come back and tell us more about this. He said, no, can't do it. I gotta go. If the Lord wills, I'll be able to come back and spend some time with you. But he didn't leave them without anything. No, Priscilla and Aquila, they remain there and are there for some time. Right now, Paul's not going to be able to be there, but his message has not been rejected like it was frequently. And, and there, Paul leaves. Priscilla and Aquila, he takes a ship, he heads back toward Antioch, the sending place, with stop-offs at Caesarea, where the boat lands, and up to talk to the church. That means nothing other than we ever read about up. It's going up to Jerusalem, up to the temple. He goes to the place, the home church. I am positive what he's doing is he is sharing how the impact of the gospel has touched the lives of those that had been outside the realm of God's kingdom and now have been brought in and embraced. And the joy that that must have had. And then he went down to Antioch. And I'm sure, once again, shared the message of what has happened. And then in verse 23, all of a sudden, Missionary Journey 3 begins. Here's what it says in verse 23 of chapter 
chapter 18. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul departed and went from one place to the next, to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Paul heads back to that place where, where they originally began in that first journey with Barnabas, where John Mark bailed out partway through, where resistance was frequent, where Paul was stoned, thinking he was dead, they drug his body outside the city, didn't kill him, or if it did, God raised him. He came back, and he knows what it's about. But he goes back there, not only where he was with Barnabas, but on the next trip with Silas, and now by himself, because Silas and Timothy are back in Corinth, Priscilla and Aquila are in Ephesus. And he goes back to those places where not only had there been resistance, but there had been the seed of the church planted. And he goes there and he strengthens the disciples. He was involved as, as a midwife, sort of, uh, birthing these churches into existence. And now he's coming back to share. You know, there's people that have been impacted by your life. There are people who've been active, impacted by what you have said and what you've done. With the light of Jesus shining through in the darkness of their lives, and you've drawn them toward the kingdom of God. Sisters and brothers, don't turn your back on them. Always be there. To speak truth and grace and hope and favor. You've been a Sunday school teacher? How many of those little lives have been impacted for eternity? I'll tell you, more Sunday school teachers have impacted children in the kingdom of God than pastors standing in the pulpit. Because there's been that close one, maybe one on seven relationship. There's, there's a relationship that has been established. And you're always going to be that person who shined with the gospel into their lives. He came to strengthen the disciples. Later on, Paul's going to write a church, uh, the church of Ephesus. Now, he just spends a, a week there, or whatever it is he spends there. But later on, he's going to spend three years there. And he writes to them this letter in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Starting in verse 11, it says, And it was he, talking about God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for the works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of those people that you have touched, that's what God's design is. Not that you've helped them come to faith and you ignore them and walk away. They're breathing in the Spirit, great, go for it. But you're there constantly sharing, encouraging, blessing, directing, and maybe the most important, loving. God's favor touching into their life. Well, Paul sort of disappears for a few moments, at least a few verses, but Priscilla and Aquila and someone else show up. Here we are, verses 24 to 28. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those through grace and believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing 
was Jesus. Wow. What a resume that Scripture points about this fellow by the name of Apollos. First of all, by genetics, he is a Jew. By birth, he is African. He comes from Alexandria in Egypt, founded by Alex the Great years before. Uh, it became a center of learning. In fact, that's where the Septuagint had its birth. That is, the, the Jewish Old Testament scriptures translated from Hebrew into the Greek language. Many times you're going to see in the, in the footnotes, maybe, of your Bible, the uh, um, X, LXX, uh, Roman numeral 70. Uh, that is for the Septuagint. And it was a wonderful place of learning. It had a phenomenal library. Maybe at the time, a million Jewish folk living there. Primarily not speaking Hebrew so much, but speaking Greek. He is an African by birth. I want to tell you, my heart has been so blessed by my brothers and sisters in Africa. There have been some who have impacted the church in such a powerful way. From going way back, even up to the present day. Just a couple of those. Here, here's Apollos. Uh, he's academically trained, a Jewish believer. Uh, phenomenal in his abilities to, to expound on the scriptures. And the way he spoke was just attractive to people. They wanted to hear him his message, and he did it in such a wonderful way. There is Athanasius, to me, one of the heroes of the early church, who was, for me, the hero at the, uh, at the Council of Nicaea. It was Athanasius who went nose to nose against Arius, who said that Jesus is really good, but he's not quite God. It was Athanasius who was abused by Arius, uh, Athanasius also from uh, Alexandria. Arius put him down. He wasn't very polished. And he would call him that black midget. Apparently his complexion was pretty dark African. But so important was his standing for faith and truth that we have one of our creeds named Athanasian Creed. Then there's Augustine, or Augustine. Wow. Just wow. Our own Martin Luther was one who was of the Augustinian order. A powerful man of God, also from Africa. Uh, in the last decade, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of Tanzania, excuse me, Evangelical Lutheran Church in Tanzania broke a long-time fellowship with the big Lutheran church in the United States, the ELCA. All around the whole area, the confused and wrong teaching that the ELCA has about human sexuality. Bishops in Africa said, we cannot go there, we cannot be in fellowship with you. That fellowship was broken because of the choices made by the church in our country. Just this last year, the United Methodist Church, which isn't just an American church, it's a worldwide communion. So when, when decisions are made, it's not just Americans that make it, it's believers that are all a part of the United Methodist Church. It was the African and the Asian believers who said, this is what scripture says. We will not allow this church to depart into heresy. Again, around the whole human sexuality and the authority of scripture area. Oh, I'm so thrilled with those believers from Africa who remain faithful way back then, even to our present day. When I was a student at the Lutheran Bible Institute back in the 60s, and I graduated.
graduated in 1970. There was a pastor in Silver Oil who oversaw education in the Lutheran Church for the entire country of Rhodesia. That used to be a country, now it's called Zimbabwe. Uh, he oversaw ministry there. I, I spent you know, almost two weeks with him in Rhodesia. Oh, what a man of God with a passion for people. People on that Palm Sunday walked four, five hours to make it to gather with God's people for worship on that special day. And then just recently, a year and a half ago, the time I spent with uh, Pastor Surya, who is the, the assistant to the bishop of the ELC in Tanzania. My son described him this way. I felt like I was walking with Paul. As we would go into distant areas, and him looking and realizing, you know, if we got about nine more people, we could begin a church there. A church, a congregation. This one that we went to had mud about three and a half, four feet on the side, open sticks for air to flow through, and some rusty tin for the roof. Blank benches to sit on, dirt floor, and an old rim of a truck hanging from a tree. And when it came time for worship, you got that metal rod and you beat that. That was their bell. And as soon as they had 50 people that were there regularly, they were going to come in as their local congregation and help them build an even better place to worship. The pastor who saw that had eight congregations that he ministered to, along with evangelists and parish workers. All is the vision of how can more here and be gathered. Oh, those leaders with passion from Africa. Back, back to Apollos. He was an eloquent man. He was attractive and convincing as he spoke. He was competent in the scriptures. He was well-versed in the study of the entire Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament yet. The Gospel of John is waiting to be written. Luke hasn't gotten around to writing the Gospel yet. All this is coming from this Apollos, who, who with the Jewish community is looking at what the scriptures say and telling how Jesus has fulfilled it. He is one who has been instructed in the way of the Lord. The, the Greek word is katechol. Uh, it's where we get our word catechism. He had been rightly instructed to understand what the scriptures said and how to proclaim them. Uh, he was fervent in spirit. It was this sense of boiling over with enthusiasm and excitement. And he taught accurately. The things that he taught with, about Jesus were right on. And he spoke them boldly in the synagogue. All those, the, the big pluses in his pedigree. There was one minus, though. And that one minus was this. He knew only the baptism of John. Remember, John the Baptist had disciples. Some of them migrated over to follow Jesus, that Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But there are others who didn't because maybe they had gone back to their own home territory. We're not sure how these disciples of John made it down to Alexandria and shared with them God's call through the Baptist to come to faith and trust and look to Jesus who is Messiah. But remember what happened? By the time John is gone, beheaded by Herod, Jesus hasn't instituted Holy Communion. Palm Sunday hasn't happened. Good Friday is not even imagined, let alone the resurrection on Easter. And, and what, what Apollos knew was wonderful. 
but he didn't know the rest of the story. Paul Harvey hadn't come around yet. And as, as Priscilla and Aquila are hearing him speak in the synagogue, they are saying, wow, this guy is great. Let's tell him the rest of the story. And, and they graciously took him aside. They didn't chastise him up front. What do you mean you're not talking about the resurrection? What resurrection? Well, after he was crucified. What crucifixion? What about the supper? What about the supper? I had all that. None of that was known to him. And here, this one, Aquila, not learned other than how to make a tent, how to process leathers. His wife, not schooled in the official traditional sense. These two, from a cultural point of view, nobodies, grab him, take him aside, and they explained the truth of Jesus more completely, more perfectly. Here's what uh, Richard Wetzke talks about this interaction that probably took place. It is providential that this valuable man came to Ephesus just at this time. The teachers he needed to complete his education had also providentially been brought to Ephesus just at this time. Paul wasn't there and wouldn't get there for some time. No, not even a, a congregation was founded there yet. Only a humble tent maker and his equally unpretentious wife were there to take Paul's in hand. But would this eloquent, able university graduate condescend to school to a tent maker, a common artisan, and to his wife? who had never attended a university. We'll see. The best university training Apollos ever received was given him by this tent maker's shop. And the best professor Apollos ever had was this tent maker's wife, Priscilla. And among the great services these two ever rendered the Lord was what they did for Apollos. In the whole story of Acts, there is no picture that is more ideal than that of Apollos. Aquila and his wife Priscilla. Not only was, was Apollos a learned man, he was a man who was humble, who knew that there was more and was willing to receive it from people who worked in the shop. And he received it well. My guess, it doesn't talk about it, but my guess is probably Priscilla and Aquila brought him down to one of the rivers and baptized him. Because something else happened. He continued to, to speak the truth to those who, who embraced the scriptures of the Old Testament and filled in all those blanks and what they really meant. Uh, the Alexandrian school was, was, was big into metaphor. And, and we see a little bit of that in Scripture. Paul writes, uh, you know when it says in the Old Testament, don't muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain? You think God's really all that concerned about the ox? Well, I think God was. But uh, he says, no, this is talking to you, church, that you don't hinder supporting the ones whom God has sent before you. Bless them. Encourage them. Help supply their needs. It's more than just an ox treading out grain. It's those who serve in your midst. Honor them. Brothers and sisters, you have got leadership here at Newland. And you've been working overtime, trying to figure out the very best way, led by God's Spirit, to bring His Word his grace to you in all of its fullness. Well, Apollos then asks, uh, sent by God to move from Ephesus over to Achaia, that, uh, that area of Athens and Corinth and that whole southern
southern part of what we now call And the brothers there, the church there, felt that that was the right thing to do. And, and they wrote a, a letter of recommendation, and he goes there, and over there he proclaims the truth. He refutes the arguments against Jesus and provides the truth for them to see that indeed the Messiah is Jesus. I don't know where you are. You might be that one who's like a Torah. You've got it all together. You understand what scripture said. You've been to Bible study for the last 20 years, 30 years. And God wants to use you to speak the simple truth to people who need to hear. Lord, you may be that Priscilla or that Aquila who, having heard what someone knows, being able to latch on to that and to fill in those blank spots so that they too will understand more fully what it is that God has done for them in Jesus. I mean, it's something that happened way back then. But it's something that God chooses to do and use right now through simple people. People like me and people like you sharing the Jesus we know people who God wants to bring and birth into their kingdom, his kingdom. I would pray that that, that would be our response. Lord, I don't know how you want to use me. I, I, I somehow feel inadequate. But even that little bit, that little nugget that you know, when shared by God's grace, is going to strengthen those. And maybe draw them into his kingdom. Now we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us the grace that we need, that you would help us, Lord, to, to speak your truth, uh, sometimes in a winsome way, other times in just simple truth. May our life shine with your love so that you would draw people by your grace into your kingdom. I pray this, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. We're going to have a, a wonderful opportunity to gather around the meal that Jesus said. He, he, he brought it from, from the outside into your place of seating, uh, the elements for Holy Communion. Uh, the request, when you open the, the liquid, do it in the plastic bag so in case the, the drippings that uh, happen because of the imperfect seal, will stay in the bag and not on the beautiful <laughs> upholstered seats. I'm going to invite you to stand. Before we come to this table, it's always good to make sure that things in our hearts are right. That we hear and believe his call. Turn from sin and turn to him to confess not only our failure, but to confess his goodness. In Paul's, excuse me, in John's letter, first letter, his simple words are this, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just. And he will forgive us our sins. He will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Having heard that word, I invite you to silently speak to him the truth.
to you who have made your confession, to you who believe his promise, I declare to you what he said, the entire forgiveness of all your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Worship team, if you would prepare. Thank you. 
receive the blessing of God who loves you so very much. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with the greatest of all his favor and give you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
starting from the back. Go in peace and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.